You're listening to the Close the Loop Podcast, a show for marketing and sales decision makers aimed at making sure your campaigns get the credit you deserve for growing your business. Leading the conversations is the host, Kevin Dini, a true marketing and data nerd, live and virtual event speaker, and fan of all things Batman. Put on your marketing hat because we have some fantastic guests, subject matter experts, and colleagues who are passionate about helping business leaders like you to succeed. No need to take notes. Just visit the show page on callsource.com to read the transcripts, watch the episodes, or get any links mentioned in the show. Hello, and welcome to the Close the Loop podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Dini. And today, we're going to be talking about how to build an exit strategy for your business. I've got a really special guest with us today who I would consider to be a fantastic resource for talking about exit strategies with business. His name is Kyle Griffith. Kyle Griffith is a trusted M&A advisor for business owners planning their retirement and the sale of their companies. Kyle is a managing partner of the NYBB Group. For the past 18 years, the NYBB Group has assisted privately held companies in need of merger and acquisition and business advisory services. Kyle is the chair-elect of the International Business Brokers Association and is the CEO and founder of the M&A, an advisory network for business owners seeking to build, grow, and exit their company. So welcome, Kyle, and I'm so grateful for having you on. Hey, Kevin, I really appreciate the opportunity to connect with you and, and share some insights with your guests. I feel honored to be part of your program. Thank you for so much for the invite. Yeah. And I think a great place for us to get started here, Kyle, is with the very basics. So when we talk about an exit strategy, when we talk about mergers and acquisitions, the sale of a company, what are we, what is that? I guess in layman's terms, what are we talking about? So when, when you're thinking about an exit strategy, well, one way to look at it, you know, most folks, when you think of exit, they think about sale. Don't look at it that way. An exit strategy is in, in the event that you need to transition the business, success the business, have a succession plan in place for a family member or employee, you want to have something in place in case a bad event occurs. Also, you could be looking to grow your company, right? You want to grow your company from five, 10 to 20 million. What's your strategy? Are you plan to grow your company in preparation for exit to purchase another company. Another exit strategy can be, hey, you know what? I have a great team here. I want to do an internal sale. My exit strategy is I'm going to transfer ownership to some key employees or key management. A lot of people, when they, when they get involved in a the business, they don't think about what the exit strategy is. And, you know, 20, 30 years later, they're stuck in a business that they probably could have sold or could have exited uh, years ago. I like to use the analogy, Kevin, you know, you think about it in the real estate world, you're not going to just buy a piece of property while knowing what your exit strategy is going to be. Either you're in the buy and hold game, you're buying property to hold and, you know, put it in a portfolio and it stays in family trust and stays from generation to generation, or you fix it and you're flipping, you did rehab. So the same thing, when you get in a company, what's your game plan? Is your plan to hold it, build it up and keep it in the family or go public? And there's different ways to exit depending on what your, what your, what your game plan is. No, that's really fascinating to me because the, that there's so many different options a business could take, you know, maybe. Maybe it's, it wants to success to the, to its family member, to an employee, it wants to sell, it wants to grow. There's a lot of options or interesting avenues there. So that makes me think, 
okay, well, how early? Is it like life insurance where it's like, well, the earlier you get it, the better off you are. Is it like that where the earlier a business is thinking about it? Because you mentioned you don't buy a property before knowing your exit. Is it the same? Should a business owner today who maybe doesn't have the, I don't know, the most confident exit strategy, should a business owner at any point in time be thinking about their exit? Or is it, you know, when they're near the exit? <laughs> is it from day two or three of having a business? Where do you, where would you, where do you think a good time to start planning an exit strategy takes place? From the very beginning, you, you want to think of it and from the end in mind. You want to reverse engineer what your game plan is as far as your exit strategy is and the growth of your business. From the very beginning, a lot of people don't think about it because they're so excited, right? I have to see a business I just started or I just bought or I just inherited. And you just have so much going on. You have to deal with staff, vendors, customers. In that beginning, just a, a big rush to get things situated. You deal with contracts, attorneys, leases, and you forget about, you know, what is the eventual goal here? Is your goal, you're going to, this business is going to fund your retirement. You're building a business that's going to make X amount that can fund your retirement. Are you build up a legacy for your kids and your family. So ideally, you want to start from the beginning and reverse engineer. It's funny, um, I, I just got out of a, a Goldman Sachs program. See my cup here, 10,000 small biz. It's a one, wonderful program. The very first day in the class, now their program runs for four months. The very first day, guess what they thought on the first day? <laughs> have an exit, have a, have the end in mind or? <laughs> yeah. What's your exit strategy, right? So you've been through a whole course of four months, you know, figuring out how to build your business, how to, how to grow your business, how to build a sustainable, viable company, right? Has your exit plan changed? And if it hasn't changed, whether it's changed or not, what are you going to do? What, what are some things you're going to track? What's some metrics you're going to track to make sure that you're building a company that's sellable, a company that has value, and you have people in place to run a company if you're not around. So you can step away, you can go on vacation, you can do some cool things. So it's, it, it's very important because I speak with many clients that are, you know, they can't take a vacation, they're locked in, they don't have anyone to run the company. And, you know, it, it's things you have to think about in the, in the, in the very early stages of your, your, your company. Wow. Yeah. So you mentioned there's a lot of things in that, even in what you just said, I'd like to unpack even more. The first thing I'd want to go into would be, okay, so let's say a business owner, someone who's launched the business at any point in time wants to have a very solid exit strategy. What would you say is one of the first steps on that journey, on that path to, to having an exit strategy where they're going to feel confident about it, know what maybe what it is, maybe have some backup options to it. What would be the first step in that path to getting a, an exit strategy? Well, it, it depends on where they're at with their business. I, ideally, you, know, you want to have that conversation with your financial planner, your financial advisor, your wealth advisor. You know, so if your goal is you need a million dollars to retire, and your, your company is valued at five hundred thousand, then there's a gap of five hundred grand, right? So one of the first steps you want to do is get a valuation, right? You need to assess where you're at. Right. I, I like to use, I like analogies, Kevin. Let's, let's put things in perspective. So every year, what do you do? You get a checkup, right? You get a physical, right? So if your goal is to be chiseled like Cristiano Ronaldo and you go to the doctor and you're a little bit lumpy, right? The doctor will say you need to work out, lose weight, and you put a plan together, you get a gym membership, you start eating right, and you get to Cristiano Ronaldo. Now, if your goal is not to be a Christian, you want to be, you know, just in shape that you put a, a plan in place. 
The same thing with your with your company. You, you want the first step. You want to get a valuation of your company, determine what it's worth, and then part of that plan is, let's say your exit plan is to sell your company in five years. Your company's worth one million today, and as part of that assessment, we do different assessments. We do what's called a value gap assessment. So with that value gap assessment, we will assess what your business is worth today, and we will discuss various key value drivers. So if you take action, if you take these action steps, the business could go from, let's say it's 5 million today and possibly 10 million, right? So here's the key, the, key, the key question. Do you want to put in the work to get it to 10 now? Or does it make sense for you to exit now? Because in some cases, there are business owners that have other opportunities. They have other motivations that could be invested in real estate, other businesses, relocation. So there's a, an opportunity loss. So if you stay growing your company, you lose out on other opportunities. So it depends on that individual. So for some, it makes sense to exit right away or and others maybe want to stick around, build a company to a higher valuation and, and exit. But one of the first people you want to speak with is your financial advisor. There's also some tax considerations as well when you sell your company. So have those conversations with your with your an accountant would be definitely by my, my recommendation. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And uh, man, so a, a question that comes off that right away in my head is, well, you know, I, I know that it's complex. I know that it's a lot of subjectivity around the business and when it would when it's the owner up to the owner to decide. Okay, is this what I want? Are these being my goals? Is this what I want in my life? Opportunity costs you mentioned. There's other avenues to explore, but. And I guess in terms of like the basics again, what are some of the things that a a company would say, well, this is how I value, I'm going to value a business. What are some of the factors or levers or, or just general things that go into how a company is valued? <laughs> Kevin, that's a money question, man. That's the money question. That's the number one question. What's my business's worth? And it's like a picture. It's like the value is in the eye of the beholder, right? It's, the valuation is just like that. It's a picture. It's art. It's more of an art than a science. There are, I can go very deep on this if you want. I can keep it high level as well. There are multiple factors that goes into the valuation. For any of buyers, the first thing you want to look at is the financials, right? The buyers are looking for some, look at the EBITDA, which is the earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And essentially, you want to see how profitable the business is. So you, you can't get away from the financials. You have to have clean financials, even projections at times, right? I would say maybe 70, 80% of the valuation is based upon the financials. The other aspects is more stuff that you can't see, more goodwill intangible. So let me, let me give you one that you understand. Multiples are, is, is basically a risk that multiple Right, when you're valuing the business, part of it, you do a multiple of the EBITDA. That multiple is a risk factor. The higher the multiple, the lower the risk. The lower the multiple, the higher the risk, right? So if you're working in an HVAC company, 10 million, you have re recurrent revenue, a lot of goodwill, you have good, good reviews, you have good key people, that's a, a low risk. A lower risk opportunity. So a buyer will be willing to pay a little bit more because they can feel rest assured. They have a high confidence that the business is not going to fall apart once I take the business over. Right now on the flip, on the flip end, 
if you don't have contracts, you don't have recurring revenue, you have some contractors that are doing some work on the side, there's a lot of things happening, a buyer will look at that, you know, there's some risk that's involved. So I'm not, I'm not willing to put my money out. So I'm going to pay you a low multiple. So the, the valuation has a lot to do with that. Another thing that factors into the valuation, Kevin, is the growth opportunity, right? So the buyer is going to essentially value the business based upon the historical performances of the company. Anything after that is their profit. And the re that's, that, that's their return. They're going to bring, they're going to infuse capital in the company. They're going to bring teams. They're going to bring the advisory team. They're going to bring their wits, their knowledge, depending on who the buyer is. And their goal is, wow, you have made, you have a $10 million company. That's wonderful. I love what you did here. I love your business, but I want to, I want to 10 X this company. I want to go 20, 30, 40 million, but guess what? I'm putting, I invested my capital. I, I want to get a return on my investment. Right, that additional revenue and performance and profitability of that company—that's a buyer's benefit. So that's what they look at too. So they may be willing to pay a little bit more because there is a growth factor, it's a growth strategy. So if you were to, a lot of buyers ask the owner, if you were to stick around another five, ten years, what would you do to grow the business? And if you have that ready laid out, that the buyer can just come in, plug and play. The chances of you get a much higher multiple increases. One other thing, Kevin, I'll give you one other bonus. <laughs> There's not a lot of great companies. There are a few unicorns. I'll give you one example of a unicorn. It just happened recently. Twitter. <laughs> Twitter got an insane valuation, right? Now, not every company is a Twitter or WhatsApp, right? However, one key reasons that that can inflate a price is demand. If you have two buyers that are essentially bidding for that one particular business or multiple buyers bid of one particular business, let's say it's two competitors. You have three HVAC companies in this one area. One is being sold and you have two other competitors that, that are buying the business. Those two buyers, the one that doesn't win that bid knows that now they're going to have a bigger competitor. That competitor is going to get probably the best employees. They're probably going to get materials at a lower cost. They're, they're going to get a lot of value between both companies. And it's going to be a, a, a challenge for the third HVAC, that marketplace to survive and gain traction. So the other company can essentially try to outbid the other competitor just not to lose out. So they want to pay a little bit more because they don't want to lose out on the deal. So there's a couple of things that factor the valuation. There's a multiple others, but you know, I'll stop right there. No, I think those are really interesting because any one of those stand out. If I'm listening to this and one of those stands out and I'm like, oh, that would be, that's an interesting factor I should consider, right? Then, then maybe I'll do something about it. I, I read, when I was looking this up, this topic, I was just researching this topic. I found a lot of times that it was recommended that a business get a valuation, even when they're not in the market to sell just yet. Because a business analysis and an evaluation per se, a value ana analysis would tell them, well, if I did have to sell today, this is what, you know, my weaknesses, my strengths, my multiplier might be. These are areas where someone may say, well, you know, this is just, you know, if I was a buyer, this would just be a little sketchy to me or a little risky to me. And so the, the owner then could be like, hmm, okay, how can I shore this up? The plan is far off, but maybe today, that analysis could be useful 
And so I was like, well, that, that'd be kind of cool. So how, how often, how costly, how often are these valuation checkups? Would it be something a business could afford to do often? Or is it something they may do sparingly because it can be costly? I wasn't sure. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, Kevin. I'll give you another analogy. I'm assuming you have a car and there's a, a, a schedule for oil change, for check-in. We have oil change. You have the maintenance and all that. You have a schedule, right? Just going to the, to your mechanic or your dealership for oil change and what happens? They find something. Oh, by the way, Kevin, your alternator is bad or you, have, you didn't know you have a nail in your tire. Now, hadn't you gone to get that service? What would happen? You could have been on a trip with your family. The tire blows out. What happened? Right. So it's the same thing with your business, right? As far as the valuation goes, there are different types of valuations. There's, there's different levels to evaluation. You want to get some sort of assessment once a year. So we do something that's called a price evaluation analysis. That's something you can get done once a year. A full-blown, complete appraisal evaluation. You may want to do that every five years. It can get a little bit costly. But I would say five years of full valuation. But every year, you want to do a, a SWOT analysis. You want to do some sort of assessment. Just to make sure you're on track, right? It's like you, know, you have a plane that's going from Denver to, to L.A., Every time, every few seconds, there are course corrections, right? To make sure the plane's on the right track. So the same thing for a company, you want to make sure that you're assessing your company regularly so you can make these course corrections. If your goal is to exit and, and create a legacy for your family, you want to have these, these course corrections so you can make sure you get your goals accomplished. Okay, let's say you do want to have an exit strategy and it does involve handing off a sale, you know, something. It could be anything, I think, really. How do you make that? exit smoother. You know what I mean? Like there's the the sale and making sure it's valued right, which is getting the most for it and making sure that it looks great. But I think there's also that aspect of, okay, the company, if it's still going to persist after the exit, how do you make that transition from maybe you as the owner to someone else? Or, you know, how do you make that process more smooth? I would imagine that that's part of it is like the transitional point. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot, there's a lot to it. So it's quite easy if I give an example. So right now I'm representing a metal distribution company. And when the client first came to me, the owner was very much involved in the business and his client was to exit and sell the company. So he had a VP and slowly but surely he started relinquishing some of his responsibility to the VP. That VP is a couple of years from retirement. So anyone that's buying a company, the VP is going to potentially stay with the company. And he does majority of the work where the CEO does general oversight. So one of the key things to answer your question, Kevin, is to make sure that you're replaceable. <laughs> and it doesn't sound, we all want to think we are replaceable, right? We want to think that, you know, there's no one else can do a great job as me, but sometimes you have to maybe fire yourself or give yourself a, a longer vacation, right? Because sometimes you can be holding the company back. I've had a couple of clients where they have grown their business and they come to me, they want to exit. They've grown the business to 2 million or 5 million or whatever, and the sales has plateaued. Like they can't get the business to the next level. And it's all about the mindset. Mindset has a lot to do with it. You have to figure out, okay, so what do I need? What tools do I need? What resources do I need? Who do I need in my team to get my business to the next level? And sometimes it may start with a CEO. It may need a CEO change. Get some fresh blood in, in the company and, and get things going and, and, and move in the right direction. So sometimes you see folks found the companies 
They started as a founder, as a CEO, and then slowly they, they bring in someone else. So they're great at building companies. So they build a company and move on to the next one. And they have a next one. And then they have a portfolio of 10 companies. And that's the smartest way to do it. You just get yourself out of the picture. Because when you're in that bubble, working in your business, you don't see from the outside. So you want to always be working on your business or not in your business. So one of the key things is getting someone else. I would say out of every question I get from buyers, they want to know about the key personnel and management. Who's staying with the company? Give us a background. What's the turn? What's the turnover? How off, you know, how long have they been with the company? What's the, the ages? Cause if they're key personnel or re retirement age, there's a chance that I may buy the company and then they move on. So the personnel aspect, the human cap aspect is one of the most, most instrumental parts in getting the deal done. So you talk about a tr smooth transition, get a team in place. And Kevin, this works for startups as well. So I do work with a lot of lenders and bankers. And some of these, some of these bankers invest in early stage companies. They know that you just started and you may not have a lot of profits because you're just going, but they want to know who is on your team, who's going to help you. What's your infrastructure? What's your build out? What's your game plan? What's your business plan? What's your growth plan? What's your exit plan? Right? They want to know who's on your team can help you execute. So you want a smooth transition, make sure you have some good people working inside the house. And outside the house, outside your team, you want to have some great advisors, attorneys, you know, business advisors, consultants, and, and, and so on. So um, I know it's a loaded answer, but essentially, I think people don't put the importance of that. Even though it's two companies in a transaction, those two companies are run by people. People is the most important factor. And it starts at the top and it works all the way down. Everyone has to be on the same page, have good values, good vision and a great culture. And if you have a great culture, a company has a great culture, it's where the CEO can step away, right? Go Punta Cana for, for two weeks, come back, and everyone is working. If you go to Punta Cana, Kevin, and you come back, everyone is partying and celebrating, you know that it's not gonna be a smooth transition, there's gonna be some problems. So getting some good people and you're working in your team is way which, which you wanna do. Wow. That, I think that's such a powerful statement of focusing on the people, the teamwork, the people that are in there. Okay, so this isn't necessarily like a, an argument against what you said. I think it's exactly what you say. But it does make me think, man, if you spend the time to really create a really good team, I think there's that feeling of like attachment to them. So I think there's an emotional attachment to the business, right? Like describe it as like blood, sweat, and tears went into this sometimes. And then you forge these relationships, you create these teams, you help them become the managers and the leaders in the business. And then that point comes where it's like, okay, now it's time for you to step back. And it's like that emotional anchor has been created there. So how, how emotionally are owners managing that ability to detach a little bit and either sell the business or make that succession? Because I think that's, that's an aspect of it that would be really hard besides just, you know, <laughs> executing the plan. There's like an emotional feel there. That's a fabulous question, Kevin. So I sold a fulfillment center and my client who sold the company, he had a key employee and she's a go-getter, man. She's like, let me do this. Let me do that. But my client's very conservative. He has been run a very clean business, no debt. He's been through the recessions and he's been doing very well. So like. You know, we wouldn't have a good thing going. You don't want to change it too much. You know what I mean? It's like, get a good thing going. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? 
However, it's good because, I mean, you have consistent revenue. You can kind of predict where the company's going to go because you have those long historical sales. But looking back at it, maybe you could have done a little bit better if there are certain things that could have been implemented. To answer your question, so let me twist it around a little bit. As a, as a leader and a CEO of your company, you have to empower your employees. You have to empower your staff. And you have to let them know that their, their voices is heard and their voices is cherished. And you want to constantly get feedback. There's one good quote I give you. The more input gives better output. So the more information you give back, the more data. As a CEO, you can process and make the decisions. The buck stops at you and you have to be a quick decision maker and be decisive and decide what direction you're going to go in. So if you're planning an exit in your company and you have some key people, you have to have that conversation with them and start empowering them. You're not going to tell them to sell the company, but say, hey, hey, Joan, you know, I really appreciate the years you've been working with us. You've been some great things here. You're really a natural at doing this. And I know you want to be challenged here. I want to give you the opportunity to explore your career with our company and provide some more advancements. I want to create opportunity for you or career path and let them feel excited. Give them some opportunities to work and, and build them up. They don't know that your plan is to either transition the company to them or have them be a key person moving forward. They don't know that at this point, but you start empowering your staff and getting them prepared for, for a potential transition. And relinquishing some of that power, it takes away that anxiety and that emotional attachment to that one particular employee or that job that you think where you're irreplaceable, I'm the only person who can run the business like I can. And sometimes you need coaching. Another thing you can do is get a board, put together an advisory board, get some outside opinion and some feedback. Sometimes me or you might educate our client and say, hey, John or Jane, this is what you should do as far as the next best steps. And they may not listen, but one of their peers, like if another HVAC contractor tells another contractor, hey, this is what I've done. It's worked for me. They will quickly listen. So getting on a board, getting feedback from other peers, what they have done can release that emotional anxiety and attachment to staff and tasks that you have done that you have want to, you know, get, get rid of. And I, I, one other thing, Kevin, I'm really passionate about this. I want to share. So one other thing, and you didn't mention this, a lot of business owners, their business is their identity, right? So one of the reasons that it may have this attachment is that, hey, when I sell it, I'm known for being, you know, Dr. Smith. I'm known for being whatever the case may be, right? When I sell a company, you have almost like a mistaken identity. So part of that attachment is, hey, this is what I've been doing all the years and what I'm going to do next. So a lot of these clients, like we work with psychologists and so on, can want to think about, okay, what charities you want to support? Are you philanthropic? What are you going to do next? Start thinking for five and 10 years down the road. All, all goes back to the exit plan. Like why are you, why are you doing what you're doing to begin, to begin with? Or how are you going to transition out? So we want to have them thinking about fishing, golfing, all the fun stuff, playing with your grandkids and all that, all that great stuff. If you've been a dentist all your life, it's tough to kind of detach from that world. But now you can be a spokesperson. You could probably work with charity or with trade association. You could be in the same space, but now you're not running the company. You're still doing what, uh, in the same industry, but in a different capacity. So there's different ways to go about it. Wow. So let's say someone puts it off. They don't have an extra strategy. And let's say some crisis happens, anything. Uh, 
where they now have to figure it out in the 11th hour. Maybe the owner, something tragic happens to the owner. You know, I don't know. But let's say the business immediately has to try to figure this out from a, the disadvantage of they haven't had the plan or the strategy built along the way. Why is that such a bad place to be? So yeah, it, it is It is a bad place to be. I'll give you a story. So we we sold a contracted business and I want to protect the innocent. In this particular scenario, the owner passed away and the, the son inherited the business. Now the owner had no exit plan, nothing in place. The son worked in the business, but didn't want to be in the business. He was just working in the business. And that happens in a lot of cases. I've had multiple clients and slayers like this. It's a family business. I want to be there for my family. And as soon as the father passed away, he wanted to sell. He wanted to sell the company and be out. So the disadvantage of that is that you, now you're selling from a unleveraged position where it's a fire sale and you have to get out. A key person is no longer with the company. That CEO has a lot of relationships with the marketplace, customers, vendors, and a lot of goodwill. So you lose out on that. And then another thing. Every day that passes, the value just decreases, right? There are, I was actually working with another company in the fitness space where the same thing, the, the, the father passed away, the son is in the business. The father was so relational, like was a really good charismatic person. Like everyone loves the father. And when he, unfortunately, when he passed away, they had like a mini mutiny in the company because they didn't respect the son. And this client, he's in a phone, he's crying, like, you know, these guys are not listen to me. You know, that's, that can be a major, a major issue. That's a company in a distressed situation and selling in that situation, nothing good is going to happen. Nothing good meaning that it's not going to get the full value of, of the company. Now, if the father had an exit plan in place, I want to make sure my son is taken care of. He may not be the best person to run the company, but part of the plan is I'm going to have some insurance, so in the event. Like, like the, I pass away or disabled, whatever that money can go towards hiring an interim CEO, hiring an advisor, hiring someone that we can trust to work with the family and the business to, to a potential exit, to sell or whatever the case may be. Right. So it's not a good situation, but we have had multiple cases. We have helped clients in the worst case scenario where the, the, the CEO of the company passed away and the family's left. And another situation would be where there are partners in the business with multiple partners and one partner could physically come all over the company or is sick, disabled, or unfortunately passes away. Now the wife, or it could be reversed, could be the, the, could be the, the wife running the company, the wife passed away, now the husband is involved. The other partners may not necessarily want to work with the spouse because they don't know the business. They so want to have some sort of buy-sell agreements in place. So the event likely one of the partners pass, something happened, they can take care of the family and they can buy out that partner and take care of the family. So it's extremely important to have some sort of plan in place because unlikelihood that something happens, at least your family, most importantly, your family's first, that's they're, they're taken care of. And, and in the fire sale environment makes me think of a, another question I had, which was, okay, a business has the exit strategy, but you know, in your experience, how long does it, how long, let's say the business decides it's going to sell. How long does it usually take to, to have that succession carry out or the sale or the exit happen? Is it like a, wow, we can, businesses can sell within a month or is it like, usually it'll take about three to six months. Is it like a multi-year process? What, what does that kind of look like time-wise 
Hey, Kevin, you, you hit, you've hit in all the key questions, man. So the first question, what my business is worth, why it's valued, and how long does it take for me to sell the company? Yeah, those are the top, the top two questions that we get. So the best way to answer this is it depends. So I have sold companies in weeks and I've taken years to sell some companies. It really depends. So I'm, I'm part of the committee on the International Business Workers Association that, that uh, we do these market post reports. I'll be happy to share it with, with your audience. We survey intermediaries, investment bankers, M&A advisors every quarter. And one of the questions we ask them, you know, how long does it take for you to close? How long does it take from letter intent to close? What are the multiples? So we have a lot of data. The data we have gotten from, we get about 400 folks to take the survey every quarter. And it's pretty consistent with, with, with our company as well. We are based in New York. We do deals across the country, but we're based in New York area. 40% of deals close within seven to nine months. Now, that number can be very skewed because that 40% is sellable companies. Meaning that there's three things that really determine whether a company is sellable or not. Number one, the business has to be ready for sale. <laughs> ready for sale, meaning that it's priced right, has good key people in place, recurring rate, all the stuff we talk about. The business itself, which is a big one, it has to be ready. It has to be packaged, ready to go. Everything, a buyer comes in, we open up a data room and we're good to go. Number two is that the owner has to be ready. Because I've been on transactions where we have gotten full price and the owner's like, hmm, I don't know if I want to sell anymore. I think I want to give it a shot, right? So we're talking about the emotional attachment and seller's remorse. The owner of the company has to be ready to move on either into another company or relocate or whatever the reasons are is for retirement. The third major factor is that is the business ready for the market? Is there a market for the company? Those are the three factors. So when we assess our clients, we assess it on those three things. If we have those three, sometimes we have two out of three, which is okay. Those companies take about seven to nine months to get done or even less. Now, selling a company, there's a lot of variables. There's a lot of stuff that's out of our control, right? Things happen. People get up and quit. Right. I've, I've been in working in deals where the owner has found out that there's a part. I was working a deal one time. The partner was stealing from him and providing services outside of the company. Deals where there were no contracts with employees, no non-competes. Things happen. A lot of things happen with the business itself. And the best example of that is COVID. When COVID hit, we had multiple deals on a contract and some of them we had to take off, take off the market and wait. So things come up right? deals will get done. Some of them is out of control. There are in, internal factors that affect the closing and sell the company, and there are external factors, COVID being one of them. The other fact about it is, is two parties to a sale, the buyer, right? You have a buyer in the middle of buying a company and the wife and husband can say, you know what, John, I don't know about this. I don't think it's a good idea. Let's just keep on doing what we're doing. Let's find another company, right? Or the bank can, the bank, usually on the right to approve these loans. The bank could come back, you know what, it's been some time since we agreed to a particular offering, term sheet rather. Um, we need some insurance. We need this. We need, you know, things come from the bank. The funds can be, funds can no longer be available. A lot of things happen. 
So that factors into the sale price up to the time. But I would say about 40% in our research, 40% gets done in about that seven to nine month range. And that's the timeline when you sit to our clients, we want to get you out here. And it's what gets you sold in seven to nine months. And you mentioned the buyer. And I want to focus this on like the exit strategy of the business. But I think if for a moment, if you could give us the opposite perspective of the buyer, I think that helps the sellers too. From the perspective of the buyer, you mentioned there's the value, there's the things that, you know, that are through the analysis that are being determined too. But what are, what are some other considerations a buyer has? What does the buyer go through in terms of being like, oh, I want to buy a business. I don't, where do I start? Right. Where do I, how do I start that? So what does that other side look like? Hey, hey, Kevin, that's the second podcast, man. We have to come back. <laughs> we got to come back. That's a big one. So, okay, let me break it down high level for you real quick. So as a buyer, three things are important. Cash flow, number one, you have family support, right? So you're looking for businesses with financials and financials that are, you don't always get audited financials, but a business that's already has a valuation done or has a quality of earnings report. So you want to get clean numbers and you want to make sure the numbers that represented is what it should be and what it is. And some of it we spoke about a little bit earlier. So as a buyer, you want to minimize your risk in the deal. Minimizing the risk is, you, you know, talk about financial due diligence, making sure the numbers is what it is. There's legal due diligence. Has a company been in any, any lawsuits, sexual harassment cases? any issues with any any contracts, workers' comp, you know, so we have the legal due diligence, which is the equally long list as a financial due diligence. You also have, you know, the human capital due diligence, right? So you inherit, you're buying a company with five people, five key people, that if those five key people, well, let's say just one person, this one person, if this one person walks away, the entire value for the company goes with that one person, right? So making sure there are some stay agreements, some of these, these employees are incentivized to stay with the deal because you, you're minimizing your risk. So that's a conversation you need to have for the owner. Either the owner onuses the employees from part of the proceeds or the, the buyer plays a part in that. In some cases, I've done deals where the buyer puts together a really nice package for them, including insurance benefits, maybe a, a car different things to incentivize that employee to stay with the business. I think that's probably one of the biggest ones outside of real estate. Real estate, it can be, we can be here talking about the hour just about a real estate alone, deal with, with landlords. So let's say the business is great, wonderful business, but the landlord is refusing to re renew the lease because he's going to essentially break the whole property. His goal is the lease is up in a year. I'm going to tear it down and build up residential condos because that's the best use for that property location, right? So deal with landlords. And here in Manhattan, you have some of the toughest landlords, I'm sure I have a lot where you're at, everywhere has, because the landlord's been hit hard during COVID. As a buyer, you want to minimize risk, making sure you get all of your questions answered and you have some sort of representation. You have someone like myself or some an, an intermediary that can help and get those questions answered. The, the third thing is, okay, what are you as a buyer what are you going to bring to the table? What's your value in this transaction? What experience you have? What transferable skills you had? Have who you know? So we spoke earlier about the seller's infrastructure and their team and so on. Who is the buyer's team? Who are they, who are you being advised? 
by? Who are your coaches? Who's going to help you take this company from five to 10 to 20? Are you going to hire a fractional CFO? Are you going to help? Are you going to have someone help you with the numbers, with your due diligence? So from the buyer's perspective, there's a bunch of questions you can ask a seller, like why are they selling and making sure you understand the numbers. But most importantly, you want to minimize your risk because it's your it's investment, right? You have to pay those loans back. And you want to say, okay, how are you going to grow the company? What's the growth strategy? Now, one thing the buyer can ask the seller is, have you done an exit plan? Or have you done, part of the exit plan is a growth strategy, right? So the growth strategy, which is part of the exit plan, is that I have a $5 million company. I want to get a $10 million company. And here's what you, I, I'm going to do to get to 10 right? If the seller can have that plan ready and available to present to the buyer, hey, John, hey, Sue, I'm looking to retire, but you know what? If my son, Eddie, was going to take the business over, this is a plan that we had to get the business to the next level. I'll be happy to help you for the next year or two to initiate this plan and get it going. You know, so all the key things that are very important. Just to highlight some of the things, right? It, which is that we've talked about, which is like, hey, what's an extra strategy? Why it's important? What factors to consider? Um, how often to analyze, interpret, kind of get the business checked? How to look at it from the different perspectives? Considerations about detaching, letting it go, what the owner's plans are, what the growth plan of the business is. I think we've really covered a lot of stuff in this episode. So Kyle, thank you for coming on. Is there any way People can reach out to you, connect with you, find more about you. If they have questions about this or anything related to this, that they can find your company or, or be able to find you. Yeah, most definitely. And I appreciate you asking that. So my company is called the NYBB Group, NYBB Group. And that's the website, the NYBB Group.com. That's T-H-E-N-Y-B-B-G-R-O-U-P Group.com. All the information is there. We work with buyers, work with sellers. We do business valuations exit plans as well. We are a full service mergers and acquisitions company. I started another company two years ago called m and Networks. I'm the CEO and founder of that group. And I did that to help and educate business owners that are planning to grow their company in preparation for exit. So with that company, I got 40 advisors that work with companies from startup to exit. And uh, M&A is M&A.com. So it's E as in Edward, M as in Mary, I as in India. And as an Etsy, is an Apple, E as an Edward.com, MA.com. You can find more information about that there. You can Google my name or look me up on LinkedIn, like how Kevin and I connected. You can find me everywhere. Thank you, Kevin. Awesome. Thank you. So, yeah. And thank you so much, Kyle, for coming on. This has been fantastic exploring a topic I have not a ton of experience in, but I think it's something so valuable that every business and everyone, people in the business, could be looking at and, and getting a better understanding for. So I appreciate you coming on and thank you for the time. I hope we connect again. So thank you listeners and hope that you got a lot out of this. I appreciate you as well, man. This was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs>